My name is Michael Freeze, and I will be talking to a series of my friends and experts who will be discussing the issues of the day and particular items that would be very helpful to myself and you, the listener. My first guest is a very good friend of mine. He is a miracle man. He is a advert political genius, in my opinion. He can talk about everything with a particular flair and, and genius. Um, he is also a mailman, a postal carrier, if you will. Very politically active. I present to you Scott Heil. Well, Mike, thanks. It's great to be here. And that's one heck of an introduction there, I tell you. I, thank you for giving me the credit I d- don't duly deserve. I wouldn't necessarily consider myself an expert. However, what I, what I would say is but that... But you're a friend. But you're a friend. I, yeah, I'm a friend for sure. <laughs> I do have... Um, a very wide-ranging background, I think, is how Mike and I began these conversations over the years. I started out, you know, in the military. Um, I was a sergeant in the Marine Corps, Desert Storm veteran. I served in uh, Saudi Arabia and Kuwait during that time in the first Gulf War. Uh, I then got out and I got involved in uh, the uh, United States Postal Service as a letter carrier. And I got involved in my union, and that led to me getting involved more into the labor movement as a whole, to which I held many positions. I was a treasurer. I was a vice president. I was a steward, obviously. I sat in on trustee meetings. I uh, eventually became the president of my branch, Branch 297 of the National Association of Letter Carriers. And I was also a state officer where I led and developed the Congressional District Liaison Program that we had back in the early, uh, late, ni- late, late 2000s, 2009 to, you know, up to here recently. You know, with training and development and doing lobbying on the Hill and uh, in D.C. and doing lobbying here locally and supporting candidates and fundraisers and all that, I do I did kind of really get involved in the political game at a high level, I would say. And I kind of got an understanding of how it works. And a lot of that knowledge I'd like to pass on through these conversations that we're going to have with respect to organizing, lobbying, what really goes on and and those dark, dank halls of the state houses around the country and, uh, of course, uh, Washington itself. No, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned lobbying. The, the whole importance of it, I, I know as an editor, interviewing lobbyists and, and, and politicians and the art of lobbying is very laborious. There's a lot of persuasion going on, but at the same time, there's a lot of phone calls, knocking on doors. When you are in a fortunate position to you meet with a congressman, you know, time is definitely of the essence. I, I know that just from working in the automotive aftermarket and talking with Congress, congressmen and, and senators about, you know, certain issues that affect them. And, you know, I've been with you with in that political scope when we're talking about labor um, and you've been very involved with that. And, you know, you definitely opened my eyes to some things when it comes to the political scope and the uh, the breath that's required to, to do that because it's it's something that uh, most people can't do most people aren't willing to do when it comes to persuading people because that's pretty much what what lobbying is with of going door to door talking to people convincing them to be in your frame of mind 
you know that that, that number one that's why I, I want you on here yeah I, I want you to um, really give your perspective on things that are going on today and that's kind of what this podcast is about just kind of uh, topics that we want to talk about because yeah you brought up an interesting point there how you kind of frame that mm-hmm. first of all we live in the greatest country in the world mm-hmm. for many reasons you know our economic ability and what we can become the fact that we can climb the ladder of success and all that and you know you can pretty much do whatever you want in this country and and you have the ability to do that through governmental change in most countries you don't have access to these politicians they make the decisions and you have to to live or die with the what they give you and think about that that goes everything from education you know your education level to your health care to those things that happen those dinner table issues that we so often talk about mm-hmm. but the point that you made about it going both ways lobbying just doesn't mean that you go down to uh, Columbus, mm-hmm. in our case here in Ohio, or you go to uh, Washington, D.C. Um, and, and meet with your local representative or your local senator or, or somebody in the cabinet, whatever. Uh, it means that you have to also go down. You have to talk to the people in your neighborhood. You do have to go out and knock doors and explain the issues and try to help those people understand when they go to the polls that this candidate or this issue is most beneficial to you and what you're trying to do. So you can't just always concentrate on the big fish and you can't just always concentrate on the little fish. You have to be able to do both. Mm-hmm. So knowing your product, basically, right. and knowing your issue is paramount. You got to know it. You know, that's the one of the things that intrigued me about you and just the whole process in itself. You know, I, I've been in, in situations where I've done a ride along with some lobbyists going to congressional buildings, talking to, it was Ralph Regula. It was, it, was a, it was a while One back. of the good ones. Yes. One uh, of the good ones, yeah. It was a, it was a while back. The, the group that I was with, it was uh, it was a group uh, within the Alamo of Aftermarket. It's not off the top of my head. I think the National Association, National Association of Auto Manufacturers that I was with, when they were lobbying for, or when they were um, convincing their case to uh, Ralph Regula, it was actually an A to Ralph Regula. It was... When I say time of, of, was of the essence, it, I wasn't BS. And it's, it's, you know, make your point, get in and get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the thing about politicians that I think most people will feel frustrated with is when you do have their time, they tend to want to BS more than anything else. And other yeah. people, when they get caught in that little trap, you know, how's your family? How's, how's things, how are things in the area? I think that's really where most people, when they're lobbying politicians, they get off track. No, let me, let me, uh, let me expand on that a little bit because that's a relevant situation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was lobbying representative Bob Gibbs on the Hill, Mm -hmm. probably I want to say 2014, maybe something like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, he was in the new seventh congressional district and, you know, I was down there with some members from Ashland and all that, you know, we walked into his office you know, so so let me backtrack a little bit. So first of all, in order to have an actual sit down with your representative, there's a lot that goes into it. Right. I mean, we start those letters and phone calls and we invite them to receptions and, and we go to their local offices and everything for weeks and months before that and always try to make that relationship. The aides are key always. You have to become friendly. Well, not so much friendly, but you know, uh, you, Personable. you need to develop a professional mm-hmm. friendship with those people. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones that kind of unlock the door to get you in to see the guy. Mm-hmm. Now that particular guy has got being pulled in, you know, 55 different directions. Mm-hmm. And his issue, if you don't explain it and articulate, articulate it to him quickly, 
he might just go with, you know, he might call his buddy up. Hey, so-and-so from Tennessee, what did you think about this? And he'd say, I vote against it, you know, mm-hmm. and then your whole life is in, in jeopardy. Right. Those are the kind of stakes that, that are out there. So we were lobbying. There was a big effort back in those days to eliminate Saturday delivery, six-day delivery for the Postal Service. We can get into all that, but it's very, it would be very, very harmful to the nation, to the Postal Service, and to letter carriers in general. Mm-hmm. And that's who I represented was city letter carriers. Mm-hmm. My, my, my job was to make sure that, that they were protected above all else. So, obviously, if they eliminate a day of delivery, that allows competition to, to do our job. And, mm-hmm. and then we start, you know, and it, again, goes right to the dinner table. Mm-hmm. So, we finally set up a, a meeting with Congressman Gibbs. And to be fair, he's always been a very fair man with us. He's always had, a, he would go far with us, but not all the way. Mm-hmm. When we first set up with him, we're sitting in, in his office, and he comes in, and he goes, well, I want to thank you. It's been a pleasure to meet you, Scott. You've been bothering me, and you finally got in here and all mm-hmm. that. And I said, hey, that's what I do. Mm-hmm. So he sits down, and at the time, Har, Har, I want to say Harmit Karzai, mm-hmm. the, uh, Af, the, Af, the president of Afghanistan at the time, and we mm-hmm. were at war with Afghanistan, and we still are, but mm-hmm. at that time, he made a special trip to address the Congress at that time. It, this was... I'm thinking it was 2014, 2014 15, yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. So Congressman Gibbs walked in a couple minutes late and he said, you know, I'm sorry I'm late. But, you know, and he sat down and he started saying, oh, I just was there with Harmit Karzai and he, we were talking and all this stuff that's going on. Like you referenced, he started mm-hmm. going in a tangent. That was the time when I was the lead lobbyist at that time. I mm-hmm. said, this is my time. <laughs> so I stood up in front of him and I, I, I literally stood up in his office and I said, pardon me, Mr. Gibbs, we have limited time. We've got a very difficult issue that we're dealing with mm-hmm. that we need your support. And I'm going to need these next couple of minutes to explain this to you. Mm-hmm. And after that, if you'd like to discuss mm-hmm. your relationship with the president of Afghanistan and the war in Afghanistan with us, then we'd be more than happy to hear it. But we worked really hard to get this time. Mm-hmm. And he said, all right, Scott, no problem. <laughs> and he sat down and we laid it all out to him and we explained it to him. And we actually uh, came out successful and we got him to sign off on that, on that continuing six-day re- resolution that was passed. And that, that helped us out tremendously. So, but you're exactly right. Mm-hmm. A lot of these guys are just down there, blah, you know, doing mm-hmm. their thing and they've mm-hmm. got 70 issues and they just don't think that things are that important. But when you start talking about the scope of employees and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing that's in their district and da, 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 mm-hmm. they start going, wow, this really does affect dinner table issues. And they'll start to listen. I think that, I, I think uh, to even add on to that, I think what most people get confused about lobbying, number one most people view lobbying as a dirty word. Right. As something that corporations do that high value, high um, high earners, the 1% do to yeah, Congress. Correct, correct. But for most people, if they're fortunate enough to go to Congress, to get into the congressional buildings, when I was there, I had lunch at... Um, the congressional cafeteria at that oh, time. Oh yeah, that's pretty sweet. Huh? Yeah, at that time, it was about yeah. two thousand and five. I take it back, two thousand and five, two thousand and six, yeah. and they had the freedom fries. Because, oh yeah, 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 yeah. freedom fries. Yeah. <laughs> because France wouldn't, you know, right, right. be in there. That's court. funny. Yeah, but um, it was so packed that you shared your table with people. Yeah. And at that time, as I was doing that walk along with the um, automotive manufacturers. I sat with people, I sat with a group of teachers, I sat with a group of nuclear scientists. Yeah. Uh, and the most intriguing was a group of fishermen. It was, it was two fishermen. When you think lobbyists, you think organization. You think, you know, people getting organized, we're going to meet our senators at this time, right. at this day, at this time. And, these and give two, them a whole bunch of money. Right. right. And these two guys were 
they were in, they were from Virginia. They decided to get into their, their truck and drive to Washington and... And say, look, this is what's going on. Exactly. I need your help. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it, let, me, let me say something because I, I don't mean to over talk you, but no, no you, you said something I want to I bring up mm-hmm. with respect to labor, mm-hmm. okay? Organized labor, mm-hmm. okay? It's not a very well-known fact mm-hmm. that not one penny of dues money mm-hmm. can go to lobbying. Not one penny. Mm-hmm. So the dues, the union dues that union workers pay, mm-hmm. that goes for contract administration, mm-hmm. negotiating the contract, mm-hmm. um, you know, paying your officers and, and your attorneys and things that you need to do, okay? Mm-hmm. But the lobbying end of that from mm-hmm. organized labor has to come from a dedicated PAC fund mm-hmm. that's set up and they are voluntary given donations. See, a lot of times you'll see on, on these political ads, from the right especially, They'll say that, you know, uh, big labor, big unions are d- dumping tons of money into mm-hmm. this. It's, it's, that's simply not the case. What it is, is it's our members are paying guys like me mm-hmm. to go down there and take care of that and right. do that. And then if we need to, you know, give some money or, mm-hmm. you know, these, these guys will have fundraisers and mm-hmm. we go, we go to their fundraisers and we sit and have dinner with them and just talk about our issues. Right. Congressman Tim Ryan always has one every year. He's a great guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point is, and it's very, very important, and I want to stress this enough, mm-hmm. is that there's not one cent of dues money that ever goes to lobbying activities. Okay. A lot of people turn that around on unions, man, and they mm-hmm. say, you're hiding behind your unions and the power that goes behind it. But it's simply a, it's, it's a, it's a farce. It's a fallacy. I think where the confusion comes in, too, is the money that's involved in it. I mean, not, not, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. The, the perception of money that's involved in it where, when like I said, the lobbyist being a, a dirty word to some, where money is involved. You know, they're going to the Congress, they're going congressperson, the representative, and giving them money. Right. Where in the grand sense, in the pure sense of lobbying is, you're just going to your congressman talking about the issues that affect you. Sure. Nine, nine, you know, well, 75% of us are doing that. Right. Now, there are big corporate lobbyists mm-hmm. and firms and mm-hmm. you know these so-called pack funds that are mm-hmm. doling out money right I, I i think of john boehner and how he was going around on the on the workroom floor giving or on the on the floor of congress and giving away cigarettes and stuff and checks from right. the tobacco industry back <laughs> in the day you know and right. he was smoking and mm-hmm. shit you know so i I, th- I um so you know that stuff definitely goes on right but the point is is that the average guy mm-hmm. is lobbying also mm-hmm. you know and again, that's where I go back to the greatest country in the world, man. We have the ability to contract mm-hmm. contact our elected representatives and, and explain our issues to them and ask for their help. And I think most people don't understand this well, at least the ones that I've talked to. I mean, just, just friends in general, that how relatively easy it is to contact you contact your, your representative oh, yeah. Yeah. and to get a meeting and get some FaceTime right, right. with your representative. Well, I it think, takes a little bit of work. I, I know that. And, but... and obviously the more clout you have, you mm-hmm. know, like, like Scott Howell would be one thing, but Scott Howell, uh, you know, congressional district liaison for the seventh district for the national association of letter carriers uh-huh. has a little bit more oomph than just right. me as a private citizen. However, mm-hmm. the one thing I want to uh, say about that is, is that, you know, 
Anybody can do it. Mm-hmm. You have access to call your congressman at any time. You can call the congressional switchboard whenever you want. You know, you can do, uh, you can join your local Democratic club. You can mm-hmm. join your local manufacturers club if mm-hmm. you like. Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of ways for you to do that and then get in there. The biggest thing that I can't, I, I can't stand is when people say, I'm not voting. They're going to do what they want to do anyway. Mm-hmm. I know for a fact, and I've done it. Mm-hmm. That no, you can make a difference, mm-hmm. and you can sell, solve problems that need to be solved by using the system and, and working it. Mm-hmm. I've done it myself. So when people say that, I just look at them and I just say that's just naivete. Mm-hmm. I, I think kind of th- that leads to a, a great segue, actually, um, where you're, you're talking about clout. But I think also too, when you have the clout, you got to have a a message to go with that. Obviously. And what I admired about you when, since I've met you is that when you know, we were doing these, these events for, for, for the group, for the National Association of Letter Carriers, the, the, the message, no matter how many times that we've met and worked together, is saving the middle class. That's been the message. Absolutely. And, and, and it resonates. It's something that's short. You know, it's, it's the make America great, but, <laughs> but saving the middle class, that's, that's been the, the, the ongoing theme. And I, I really, I really appreciate that when, when I'm listening to, to groups and they have that, that message. And I think those types of messages that are short and sweet win the day. And on that particular subject, Especially right now, you know, where you're talking about maybe the death of the middle class, or could there even be a rebirth of the middle class? I'm kind of where where do you kind of stand on that? Well, whew, that's a little complex. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for one, do not believe in trickle down economics. Mm-hmm. However, it's awfully hard to argue right now with what's going on with mm-hmm. the with President Trump and his tax cuts that mm-hmm. he's he's levied right now. Um, unemployment's at its lowest rate mm-hmm. of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I don't want to say of all time. That's a, that's a misnomer. But in 20-something years, right. I believe I read the other in day. In a generation. In yeah, a generation. It's, it's a long time. Mm-hmm. 3.7%. Mm-hmm. You compare that to Italy or Greece or something, and they're in the 20s to 25%. Right. Jobs over there are like, you mm-hmm. know, you can't find one. Now, on the other hand... Um, a lot of these tax breaks and tax incentives are going up to the uh, to the wealthy, mm-hmm. and by giving those tax cuts, they're also creating massive. We're talking trillion dollar deficits mm-hmm. because of these tax cuts. Although the economy is robust mm-hmm. um, right now, currently uh, the interest on the national debt has passed Social Security as the number one driver, mm-hmm. or either Social Security or Medicare, um, the number one thing of our debt that we right. have. Mm-hmm. So that being said you know, eventually it's going to have to get paid for. Right. I mean, you're writing a blank check and you're printing money with without it happening, mm-hmm. but um, we're all kind of benefiting. Our mm-hmm. stock portfolios are going up. Um, I listened to a podcast the other day with a past chairman of the FDIC who kind of ran that organization when the 2008-2009 uh, collapse happened. Mm-hmm. And she said she's very concerned that we might not be able to weather another storm like that. Um, if it, if it does happen. So the death of the middle class, um, although the middle class is surviving and, and kind of striving right now, mm-hmm. our property values going up, 
our 401ks are growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things are kind of, they, they appear on the surface to be well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always that underlying current of, of economics that, that it's up and down. It mm-hmm. could always crash. And if it crashes, it could do as much damage as it did back in 2008, 2009, 2010, mm-hmm. when all that stuff went down. I, I for one, um, you know, I'm a pretty conservative guy. Mm-hmm. I, I don't get a lot of in debt with credit cards and things like right. that. Mm-hmm. And I try I try to, you know. Well, it's much different than it was when we were younger. I mean, we're in our mid-late 40s. Yeah. Then, when I went to college, I had student loans. And I had that debt. However, that debt was rated at two, three percent interest for me. And with referrals, I mean with stoppages and pauses, you know, as far as I could see, where if, if I lost my job, I could halt that. If if I couldn't pay that particular loan, I could halt that. And now these loans are are like mortgage loans. They weren't like that when, when I was younger. And you have you have students dealing with that. And also, you know, maybe it's not a death of the middle class, but maybe like a transformation because there's a lot of people that I know that are, you know, they're servers at a restaurant and they drive Uber and they do some odd jobs online where they're, where they're taking okay, photos. But let me... and, that, uh, and, and that in itself pays the bills, but they're working three jobs to do that. Right. So, I mean. Let me, let me get back to what I was saying a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. And I kind of was getting there. Mm-hmm. You had, your, your original question that you posed me was, right. you know, where, where are you at on the middle class? Right. At the end of the day, I think that the middle class mm-hmm. has always been volatile. Mm-hmm. If you look back through history, that's what labor was all about. Right. There was always a battle between the haves and the have-nots. Right. You know, they want to pay us less and we want to try to get more out of them. Right. That's kind of how it's always been. Mm-hmm. And so all of that's volatile. And, you know, for the most part... When I, when I sit back and I, I look at the work that's been done, I, I think that the middle class is kind of okay right now, I would say. I mean, it's not great. It's not bad. And I understand what you're talking about, about people working two jobs. But that's how it always was. Even my grandparents, you know, mm-hmm. they owned a plumbing company, but they also did catering on the side. You know, so it wasn't right. Uber. You know, it wasn't online, you know, signing people up for stuff, you know, that kind of thing. Or, or they worked overtime, you know, like. They didn't, I, I worked midnights so I could get the midnight bonus and Sundays so I could get the Sunday bonus. And I took Tuesday, Wednesday off and then I worked every bit of overtime that mill would give me, you but, know? But I think the traditional sense of the middle class where someone like my mother that worked for Altman Hospital right. for 30 years. Yeah. I think those days are going to be far and in between. There's not too many people now that I know other than yourself that, that, that worked at one place for yeah. For, for decades. No, you're right. And I, I preach that to my guys all the time. I go, you don't realize how lucky you are. I heard a stat one time years ago. I don't even know if it's correct anymore. But they had said that uh, that the middle class uh, person t- in today's world would work an average of nine to ten jobs in mm-hmm. their career. I've had two. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I feel terrible. Like, I, you know, so. But and obviously the idea of a defined pension and stuff. So there's things that can be done. Like, you, mm-hmm. can, you should be able to. 
Okay, I have what's called a thrift savings plan Mm -hmm. at my work. I also have a dedicated pension fund, but there's a thing called a thrift savings plan. There was a movement, you know, a long time ago to have everybody buy into like a national 401k Mm -hmm. so that it would be portable with you everywhere you went, you know. So even even as you change jobs, that Mm -hmm. was still there, you know. So there's definitely things that could happen better for the middle class. Like that's a, that's one particular idea. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, raising the, the middle the uh, minimum wage would mm-hmm. be a good thing. Um, I got to tell you, I'm not quite so sure about universal health care. I I it, it sounds in theory like it would be a good idea, mm-hmm. but again, with the fact that we have such a, a society where you know you can be anything you want to be, there's right. a whole bunch of people that really aren't trying to be what they can't be. <laughs> and, you know, mm-hmm. for those of us that are giving everything we can, it, it, it kind of, you know, and, and as a Catholic, I know about protecting my brother and all that and mm-hmm. do unto others. But, you know, there's a lot of people out there that really ain't kind of <laughs> pulling on the rope in the right direction, if you know what I mean. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, yeah, the, let's talk about that. The U.S. Catholics in, in, in particular, uh, since we're in the U.S., uh, the you know there was a recent poll that was out. I was reading uh, that the, uh, the the acceptance of the Pope is is on the decline. I, I, in, in general, too, just the uh, the the concept of atheism is on the rise as well. I have my theories on it. One being that the people who speak for who speak spiritually and religiously i think there's two different things when it comes to spiritual spirituality and religion i mean you can do you can masturbate religiously when people say religion religion is not spirituality religion is the action of spirituality you could be spirituality in the sense that as you were saying you know looking out for your brother being kind to your fellow man and doing that religiously that that in itself is, is melded into that. But I think the people that speak for them, that speak on that, who, who, who say they speak on that, don't have you know, the Lord Jesus's heart in mind. I, I, that's, that's my opinion. Well, I, I tell you, my first couple topics are religion and politics. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Scott. Um, no, what, I, what I'll say to you is this. Um, in reference to the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. uh, as we've becoming a more uh, open society, mm-hmm. obviously rules and those kind of things go away. And the Catholic Church, even though Pope Francis himself is daggone near the most liberal pope you're ever going to run across, right. the Catholic Church in its very nature is don't do this, do that. Don't mm-hmm. do this, don't do that. So that's why. And you cannot underestimate the uh, sex scandal moving the priests around. What I will say about that is is those days are over. Mm-hmm. Our bishop right here locally, mm-hmm. um, he came out and he assigned a Youngstown police detective. Mm-hmm officially to do this they did a massive campaign throughout the school systems if you see anything Mm -hmm. you tell them and they're defrocking priests now they're saying get out Mm -hmm. and then they're putting them up on charges that didn't happen back in the day Mm -hmm. they were like well he's a troubled man we'll take care of it that Mm -hmm. kind of thing right not anymore Mm -hmm. now the people the the priests and the hierarchy are even getting on the vatican about 
this kind of stuff. Yeah, Sharia Gauthier did an excellent story. Yeah, exactly. And, and, if you want to reference it, mm-hmm. yeah, that Sharia Gauthier piece mm-hmm. that was in the repository mm-hmm. with um, uh, our local bishop here. I mm-hmm. and forgive me, I forget his name off the top of my head, mm-hmm. but. Um, He's the head of the Youngstown Diocese, and that's where we all fall in. But, yeah, and that stuff's going on, you know, all over the country. Mm-hmm. Um, our priest was furious at our old church in Pittsburgh, where my mother still goes today. Mm-hmm. Um, he came out, and he said, you know, he has a picture of, or he got a statue when he was in doing a, some missionary work in Romania of Jesus, and he was kneeling down, and he was crying. Mm-hmm. And he, as he was writing his sermon for that day, um, after this stuff came out, he said that that was the only thing that he could picture. Mm-hmm. The Catholic Church is Jesus's church. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's where Catholicism itself came from. Mm-hmm. Christ Church. Mm-hmm. Um, the, Peter the Rock was the first pope. Mm-hmm. Okay, the, the 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 first saints are the uh, are, are the apostles. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean that's the Catholic Church in general. That's not to diminish any other religion, mm-hmm. especially any. You know, Christian religions, mm-hmm. Protestants, any anything like that. If I miss y'all, but but so when this is going on, Jesus is weeping that his priests are doing that to his church. Mm-hmm. That was the kind of overall message, and then it's unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And he came out and he said, "Look, guys," he said, "You got to make a stand. Call, email, lobby mm-hmm. the hierarchies, and tell them that this is it." Don't put anything in the offering if you don't have to. But the parishioners need to make a stand as long as, uh, as, as well as the, the lower level priest, you mm-hmm. know, to the bishops and the cardinals and say, this is just unacceptable and we're not going to tolerate it anymore. And I believe that that message is slowly but surely getting heard. And it's easy for a lot of people to zing the Catholic community. It's an easy target because mm-hmm. they, quite frankly, try to be pious. Mm-hmm. And when you're pious and you screw up, guess what? Here comes the heat mm-hmm. more than so often. So um, it's it's a bad thing. There's absolutely no question. It's absolutely intolerable. Those guys are not only going to hell, but they're probably going to go to jail. Mm-hmm. And we know what happens to pedophiles when they go to prison. Right. And the Catholic Church in itself is just bound to determine to, to you know get rid of that scorn that those priests and, and those people put on us. But if you look at... The statistics, and I'm not trying to justify anything. Right. You're more apt to get raped by a teacher or a football coach or a wrestling coach than you are to get raped by a Catholic priest. I mean, statistically. I think, I think that, I mean, that's in line with, with most crimes that are involved. I mean, most people who are murdered are murdered by people they know. They know, exactly, yeah. So, I mean, I think yeah. that's that's not, that shouldn't be surprising. Yeah, to, so, to but it, it's the abuse of power mm-hmm. over young children the abuse of power in your position mm-hmm. over your parish, mm-hmm. the abuse of the, the church itself and the hierarchy to just say, we'll take care of this and move these guys mm-hmm. and not do anything to help support the victims. Mm-hmm. All that, that it, it was more or less an abuse of power and a piousness that was un, undeserved mm-hmm. and, and it's intolerable. Okay. So there's nothing right with it at all. It's just that the Catholic church that I know was one where we got together for families and we had confessions and first communions for our cousins and mm-hmm. holidays and Christmas and, you know, midnight mass and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of beautiful stuff that went on there that was so far away from that, mm-hmm. that, but it is a part that we all have to bear, you know, mm-hmm. and we've got to do something about it as Catholics. I think in a very, uh, I guess, uh, 
more more tortured segue that I'm going to try to, to go through right now is when you're speaking about justice. Oh yeah. And 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 right now with this particular climate that we have right now, what transpired in the last week when we talk about justice, as in Justice Kavanaugh, yeah. <laughs> Justice Brett Kavanaugh, um, the recently uh, appointed uh, Supreme Court Justice. Uh, where do you land on that? Particularly, not so much, let's not concentrate on the spectacle yeah. of the nomination process, but the future of the Supreme Court. Where, where would you stand on that, just kind of uh, in your position right now? Well, it's really interesting. First of all, the Supreme Court claims to be the court of, uh, they're not the politicians. Right. So the Congress and the executive branch, you know, that's the, that's the polit- political wing. Right. The Supreme Court is supposed to just rule based on the facts and, and be that. Mm-hmm. So therefore, they almost have a mystique about them. Mm-hmm. In other words, if people don't believe the law, they're not going to follow it. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like if you pass a law, however good intention it is, but it mm-hmm. doesn't work, people just disregard it. You right. know, and whatever, you know. So that's the highest court in the land, and it needs to be above all else, legitimate mm-hmm. in the opinion of the citizenry. Mm-hmm. And I think when they're doing things like this and they're making it political and making outright political statements, um, in this case, you know, when Brett Kavanaugh came out months before this and said, well, I should say Justice Kavanaugh now because he did get approved. But when Justice Kavanaugh came out and said that he didn't believe that a sitting president was could be uh, persecuted, right. or I'm sorry, prosecuted for his for any criminal behavior that he had while he was serving. And then all of a sudden that particular president who's under investigation nominates him. Well, that's political in nature and it delegitimizes the court. Mm -hmm. So I think that is something that all of those justices, believe it or not, have some concern with. Now, as far as Brett Kavanaugh goes, um, whether the people on the left or the right want to admit this, you're talking about 11 jobs out of a country of 360 million Americans. Mm-hmm. That's the best guy you could get. You know, mm-hmm. he obviously showed that he does not either have the temperament nor the judgment necessarily to be in that position. And are you telling me that you couldn't find somebody else? I don't know. Like maybe Merrick Garland, you know, I have a few, con- I have a few opinions about that. Uh, one being, at that heat of the moment, I, mean, I said I didn't want to talk about the, nomi- the, the nomination process, but in saying that, I think when it gets to a particular moment where you had some actu- accusations thrown at him, I think as a human being, especially if, if he believes that he hasn't done anything like that, I don't know whether it's true or not or whether he's lying or not, but the, the human reaction of that I mean, although I, I, I personally do have some questions about that, but the reaction that he had during that that process, as you're saying, you know, it's, it just it's, didn't uh, show it, temperament. It, it, it didn't show you're supposed te- to be the highest court judge in the land, and your temperament is just, you know, he's up there <laughs> and pounding water and, you know, and just being, you know, right, and, right. I, and, I think- and being rude to the, to the people that were interviewing him. I, at that point, you know, you got to just sit there and say, this is a process. It's a, it, in essence, it's a job interview. And if you go into a job interview and you start screaming at the people that are interviewing you for the job, well, then I don't think that's going to work out too well for you. 
But in this case, that's what he did. And I think, in, in essence, too, it's a numbers game as well. I think when those people that you know who are against you are asking those questions and you and you know, especially in a job interview, if you've been in a job interview where, I've been in a job interview where there have been five people questioning me and you can kind of read the room, maybe three of those people like you and there's those two that are on the fence or don't want you and they ask questions and you kind of have that feel where you can be aggressive. And I think in that... See, I'd, I've been in those situations and I don't. Mm-hmm. I maintain professionalism. Mm-hmm. And if I don't get the job, I don't get the job. Right. I'm sorry. Because mm-hmm. I've been in those situations myself. I, You have to be honest. You have to be... You have to have integrity. You have to be who you are. You have to show who you are. And I'm not condoning... And you, you got to show temperament, especially if you're going to be the largest judge in the world. And I'm not condoning what he said. So, what, so what again, did, my question, did. and I know you're doing the interview mm-hmm. is, you're telling me he's the best they got? Right. There wasn't somebody else... That they could have said, maybe not this guy right now. Mm-hmm. Let's go for somebody else. But I think in the in, in the current political condition environment aside, I believe that I wouldn't say it, it, it will come to pass, but I think in time the, the decisions that will be made, I think, might surprise us. The the way things are going. Will Roe v. Wave be overturned? I'm leaning that it won't be. The evidence that I have is Obamacare, where Chief Justice Roberts pretty much saved Obamacare. Right. And he But he used the argument almost like the seatbelt and the motorcycle helmet. Right. That it's better for the public Mm -hmm. to have something like that because it saves lives but I, I think when time will tell but I think that um, I think our political climate is to blame for this as well that anyone on the other side is cast as evil is cast as you know not working for the common good and vice versa and I, I think that being leaked into judicial areas of our government. I think that... And that's the point, Mike, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is that the courts should never be politicized. Right. And they are. Mm-hmm. And, if and they the, have been for a while. And if the Democrats win the mm-hmm. House mm-hmm. and they win the Senate, mm-hmm. and let's just say in 2020 they win the presidency, mm-hmm. they may just try to pack the court. Roosevelt did it back when those New Deal programs were getting stopped. Right. But so that was at a time they, where there's no term limits... And yeah, that was, but what he did, he just increased the court. Mm-hmm. So instead of having the 11 members, he said, no, no, we're going to have 13. Mm-hmm. And then he appointed more justices mm-hmm. that went on his side that could do that. Mm-hmm. You know, no, I'm sorry. They have nine right they have now. Nine. Right? They have, they have nine. nine. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he bumped it to 11 mm-hmm. and tried to, <laughs> and everybody was like, you're cheating, but mm-hmm. it's always been going on. And mm-hmm. that's the problem is that it should not be politicized. Mm-hmm. And if you want to talk about Roe versus Wade, mm-hmm. Brett Kavanaugh was a, died in a wool Catholic. Right, and the Catholic Church is absolutely on record as saying that they they uh, don't believe in abortion and that it should be it's like hiring a hitman to take care of a problem. Right, and I, I will say to you this: you know, I'm a Catholic too. I'm not in favor of abortion, nor do I like it. But I will, you know, I'll, I'll say this: I don't see how you can legislate morality because mm-hmm. if you're not a Catholic or you're an atheist, you know, 
how, how does that belief sit with you? You know, who I don't said, know. who said that the, uh, about morality just about with porn is just, uh, it's Larry a, Flint, Larry, <laughs> not, not if, uh, I, I don't know what's obscene, but if I saw it, I know. Yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> the general rule of the court when they, mm-hmm. when they see obs- obscenity <laughs> or yeah. I don't know what, I can't define it, but when I see it, I know it. Yeah. I want to get back to what, one thing that you were saying, just uh, if, if the uh, big if, if the Dems, Democrats, Democratic Party take control of the House. And I just kind of want to get into the organization of the midterms, especially now. We have someone like Taylor Swift, who's been very uh, oblique about her, her political leanings. And coming out with, she has 112 million followers on Instagram. Oblique. What do you mean by that? I'm not familiar with the Taylor, Taylor Swift thing. No, just, I mean, she hasn't been, well, she. She's not telling who she supports. She's not telling not. who she supports, but the. Veiled comments through Twitter and social media right. stuff. Right. I mean, she. she but the. Well, don't worry the about pop- it because people under 21 don't vote. I know, so. but the popular opinion was that she leans. Was the popular opinion is that she leans Republican. Well, she's a multimillionaire. That is correct. That is correct. And also, my point is, she has 112 million followers on Instagram compared to our former president, Mr. Obama, who has 10 million, and our current president, who has 12 million on Instagram. And just to kind of counter your point with who she's talking to the day that she came out with that post, uh, basically endorsing democratic candidates. There were more than 60,000 people who registered the vote. And that was just as much who registered the vote this last month. So I, I definitely think she has an impact, but my question to you basically is, just in organizing in the midterms and you, you being a veteran of that, how do you see, I'm asking you to be actually a, um, prognosticator on what I think is going to happen. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Just, um, in, in the sense of how, how do you see things going? I know, I mean, you're a veteran of it. Uh, you haven't been particularly too involved with this. I mean, I know you're involved with it generally, but not, not as you have been in past years, but how do you see things going? For, for, for this particular election in the next few weeks? Well, when you look at the polls, um, it's funny. The Sherrod Brown, Jim Renacci Senate uh, vote. That's that's for the House Senate. For the House Senate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jim Renacci, or uh, Sherrod Brown, Senator for, sitting Senator Sherrod Brown, one of my favorite guys, mm-hmm. is uh, up by 14 points, but there's 18% that's undecided. And mm-hmm. here we are three weeks out. Mm-hmm. The governor's race is an absolute standstill. Mm-hmm. I listened to the debates and Richard Cordray um, is the candidate that I'll be supporting over Mike DeWine. But, uh, for Ohio governor. For Ohio governor. Mm-hmm. They're at a standstill. So everything is like really close, believe it or not. And that's just a reflection of our country at this time. Again, it always, to me, well... Let me say this. We have history that says that the party that's in power during the midterms generally gets beat up. Right. Because there's a lot of... Only only two times in the last 30 years. Yeah, right, right. So you would think that it's not looking good for the Republicans. However, there hasn't been 
an economy that's this strong mm-hmm. in a midterm in a very, very long time. So at the end of the day, people are tending to look at, you know, my pocketbook. Like they think Washington's a mess. Who's putting the money in my hands at this point? And I got to say, that's the Republicans right now. Now, I will also say, and I believe you and I had a conversation about this. I saw, normally it's us labor weirdos that are out walking around with clipboards in our hands Mm -hmm. and knocking on doors and trying to do things like that. And we all have like, you know, some weird, you know, union pipe layer 151 shirt on or something like that. And, you know, we normally go out and and motivate our people to go. But I got to tell you, I've been seeing a a group of women um, anywhere from 35 to 60 in my local neighborhoods knocking Mm -hmm. on doors, Mm -hmm. trying to push Democrats to to come to the table. So I I do believe that there is a blue wave that is coming and it's going to be led by middle class educated women. Mm-hmm. They're not happy with Mr. Trump and the porn stars and, you know, the Kavanaugh appointment, the attacks on Roe versus Wade. They're still upset about, um, you know, women's income uh, related to a man's income for the same job. So the income inequality issue is there. They don't like what's going on, you know, with their children, a lot of them. So there's a lot of that, I believe, that's 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 coming. However, this thing with this Brett Kavanaugh thing mm. kind of fired white men up, believe it or not, too. I, so I, here we are, and it's like we're just so divided. It all depends, like I always say, on who's going to come out and vote. And I've registered probably over, gosh, over at least 1,100 mm-hmm. people to vote in my, my lifetime. I used to carry voter registration forms around with me for 15 years, and I tried to get people to polls, and I would give them absentee ballots, too, so it would just come right to their house. Mm-hmm. So... The problem is, is that the minorities and the young people just don't vote. I think also, too, with this blue wave that you're referring to, is that as a country, this is just my opinion, as a country, we love to worry. We love to worry. What I mean by that is this. 2000, we had a great economy. It was moving. It was moving in the right direction. We had George W. Bush versus Al Gore in our election. We weren't worried about the economy. We were worried about our, the character. George W. Bush campaigned as a compassionate conservative. And Al Gore eventually became themed as a aloof elitist. Especially during the debate, if you remember. I do. When he was looking at his watch. When I'm not listening to it, though. Right. You want to know why he lost that election? Why did he lose that election? Sir? Ralph Nader. That's why. Okay. That's why. And I'm going to tell these people, if they would have voted mm-hmm. for Hillary Clinton instead mm-hmm. of the Green Party, mm-hmm. she'd be the president right now. Mm-hmm. It's just that simple. These people that don't vote and these people that throw a protest vote and wrote, write Mickey Mouse in there or that vote for third parties, mm-hmm. they're doing a disservice to this country. I, I know we had uh, discussions slash arguments about this before with Hillary Clinton. I think Hillary Clinton lost because she didn't go to Michigan. She didn't spend her time in Wisconsin. Mike, if you look at the numbers mm-hmm. in Michigan mm-hmm. that voted for Jill Stein mm-hmm. in the Green Party, mm-hmm. and if Hillary Clinton would have got half of those, mm-hmm. she wins. I, I think also. Period. I think also too is one thing we've we've always talked about as well, and we've sort of have our conversations slash arguments where where the African American vote didn't show up. 
but I contend. I remember you had had that argument. You presented that argument. Well, it's me. true. Look at the numbers when they when Obama was running and when they weren't. But at the same time, you have a white woman running for president, and white women did not show up for her. They went to Trump. They went to Trump. Except for in those educated middle class, upper middle class suburbs. But by saying that African-Americans let her down, that totally ignores the fact of what I just mentioned with, with white women not even going for her. There's a white woman running for president and white women rejected her. But enough white women voted in that election, mm-hmm. okay, for her or against her. When you don't show up, you don't show up. See what I'm saying? I see what you're saying, but I, I guarantee you there weren't too many African Americans that were going to vote for Donald Trump. But to use, but to use okay. that argument, but to use that argument, I, I don't mean to be contentious or anything. But to use that argument is ignoring the fact about African Americans. They they showed up. I mean, it, you're saying that 97. 97% of them that showed up for Obama and then 92% showed up for Hillary Clinton. I don't even think it was that much, but we'll have to look at the numbers. That, I mean, it was that much. That's it, how much. So 92% of the registered African-American base mm-hmm. came out and voted for Hillary Clinton. Right. Well, then I stand corrected if that's the numbers. Because I, I saw somewhere that it was different. It was mm-hmm. almost like a 50% difference. Now, we'll have to table that maybe to the next podcast where we can get some numbers or do an edit correction on that. But... um that, you know, I just, voting was down. Mm-hmm. And look, I don't necessarily agree with the two-party system, mm-hmm. but it's the game. Mm-hmm. It's what we got in town, mm-hmm. okay? And to throw away your vote like that is just throwing away your vote. There's nobody from a third party that's ever going to come in and win. That is true. Period. That is true. Bernie Sanders runs as an independent, but he caucuses with the Democrats. And for all intents and purposes, he's a left-leaning Democrat. Mm-hmm. Okay? Maybe some of the, you know, the Republicans, Joe Lieberman and stuff that switched from the Republican to the Democratic Party, famously back then, uh, in 2006, I believe it was, mm-hmm. and kind of switched the balance of power in the Senate. Um, you know, but, but to just come out with an outright, you know, we're the Green Party, we're the... Uh, I, I can't even remember the names of them. The Nazi Party, the Labor Party. Mm-hmm. There's a Labor Party out there, right. believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Full of trade unionists like myself. And I don't vote for them. Right. Because it's throwing my vote away. Mm-hmm. Okay? So the Democrats have let me down. They disappoint me. Um, I mean, just, just to kind of put a lid on it, I mean, you know, white women, black people, they're not necessarily a monolithic vote. There are, I mean, as Trump proved, with this 2016 election. How many, how many African Americans did Trump get? See, these are the kind of numbers 8%. we got to look at. He got 8%. 8%. But it was much bigger than Mitt Romney. <laughs> if you believe that. But, and, and Trump touts that. That's, that's the, I wouldn't even say frustrating, but that's, the jargon that's used by Trump supporters, where the I, I more African Americans voted for Trump than voted for Romney, which is true. But what they don't tell you is the minute percentage yeah. that did. But it's true. Yeah. It is true. So instead of like thirteen of them mm-hmm. or thirteen African Americans voted for um, uh, Romney, sixteen voted for Trump. Like right. it's that minuscule. Yeah. Right. Okay, but. The point I'm saying is when it comes to demographics and things of this nature, mm-hmm. 
is that I need to see the votes because what I can tell you is from having boots on the ground mm-hmm. during the 2008 election and the 2012, I led the, uh, 2012 election campaign Mm -hmm. for labor in Mm -hmm. the tri-county area up there Mm -hmm. okay and we were docking on doors and i'm telling you man there were african-americans everywhere Mm -hmm. registering other african-americans up to vote the excitement was real you could tell Mm -hmm. you just knew and rightfully so for african-americans and the history that they've had in this country to finally have the first African-American president Mm -hmm. was just a a phenomenal feat that will, President Obama will stand 200 years down, 500 years down the road Mm -hmm. as one of the first, you know, one of the greatest presidents we've ever had just for being able to break that barrier, you know, amongst all of his other wonderful accomplishments that he had. So I get it. And the fact that, you know, Jim Crow was 45 years before that. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, it was an incredible feat. Um, and that community really embraced it, and they, they took advantage of it. Well, my point is, is Hillary Clinton has the same exact policies as President Obama, for the most part. Mm-hmm. She may be a little more hawkish than, than President Obama was, as far as foreign policy and war and stuff like that. But ain't nobody going to build more community centers. Ain't nobody going to give you more access to health care. Nobody's going to improve um, lower-income education benefits. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to you know give more loans to people than Hillary Clinton. Of lesser means. So the point I'm saying is, I guarantee if you look at the numbers, they cannot be close. Mm -hmm. They just cannot. And there is always a traditional African-American segment that votes Democratic, you know, Mm -hmm. and like there's no other way it's happening. Well, I believe it's just the, the, I wouldn't even say recruitment, but just the appeal that Republicans are offering to African-Americans. I don't think that's there. I, I I wouldn't say non-existent, but it's very hidden to you know getting a African American to vote Republican. I would wish, I wish that a Republican could come up to me and say, "Hey, Michael Freeze, you should be right. a Republican, and here's why." Da 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 da. A B C D, and there has been no one. Maybe that'll be a, a topic for a podcast. Convince me to be a Republican. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's the same thing with me too. You know, mm-hmm. they always come to me and they go, mm-hmm. "Okay, what is it that you don't like about the Republican Party?" Mm-hmm. And I go, "Well, they're they're anti public education, mm-hmm. they're anti health care, they're anti labor laws, mm-hmm. they're anti environment." I mm-hmm. mean, you know, so it's like those are the things I believe in. Mm-hmm. So I'm not voting for you, but it's not like you know. I think they're scumbags or anything like that, right, you know, right. corporate America is corporate America. They're going to try to take advantage of me. You know, it's just how it is. I'm their enemy by proxy mm-hmm. as a labor person. But back to what I was saying to you, Mike, I just don't want to pin this all on the African-Americans that didn't come out to vote for Hillary Clinton. I know you're not. I'm blaming it on the people that voted third party. Mm-hmm. I'm blaming it on the apathy that was out there. Mm-hmm. I'm blaming it on the African-Americans that didn't come out and support like they did for Obama mm-hmm. when the policies were virtually identical. And I'm finally going to blame it on the young people. You know, young people didn't used to be able to vote. That, that amendment was passed. And I forgive me for the for the name of the amendment. I, it's twenty six or something. I, I mm-hmm. you know I got to look it up again. We'll have to hit this on here. But it was like nineteen seventy two when mm-hmm. eighteen year olds got the right to vote. Right. And they don't go to the polls and vote. I mean, so who benefits again by Democratic or Republican policies? Young people, student loans, mm-hmm. free college. Mm-hmm. You know these kind of things, and these people. They, they don't vote their interests, number one. And number two, they don't vote, period. Well, I mean, it's the distraction. I mean, we literally have a popularity contest when it comes to president. 
Sure. It's 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 not about the issues. I mean, what I would what I would yearn for is something that we that that's happening in the United Kingdom, or I mean, in, yeah, in the United Kingdom, where you have if we could have had that in the 2016 election, where 2016 election, where you had the the top four: Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump. You, uh, I would say Ted Cruz, but it's probably. Uh, um, I'm at a loss for words. Ted Cruz. I, I, I'm at a loss for words. Ted Cruz Our, finished second, didn't he? Kasich. Yeah, Kasich. Kasich. That, not Ted Cruz. Kasich. Well, look, they did. I mean, if we had those four, if you had those four to choose from in a general election, I think the results would have been very different. I think if if you had if you had those four to choose from in a general election, it's interesting. Who? I mean, the the, the result would have been entirely different. But, again, like I say about having a defined pension or having a 401k program, mm-hmm. okay? I'd rather have a defined pension than a 401k, but guess what? That's the only game in town now is right. that 401k. So you got to maximize it, you know? Mm-hmm. That's what we had. Mm-hmm. We got a two-party system with two candidates to go through their own uh, uh, political process on mm-hmm. each side, and they determine their, their winner. You want to talk about something? How about we get rid of the superdelegates on the Democratic side? The Republican Party doesn't have I know that. Tom Perez has said something about yeah. that. He get rid of the superdelegates, and Bernie Sanders would have had a chance. And I'll tell you another thing, too, and I heard... And ar- arguably, you have... I mean, those four that I mentioned, or four or five, arguably, you could have a case that they could be their own political party. And, they could be. You know, So, I, I, like I said, it would be a very different result if... If that was the case, I think we should have something like that. I'm, I'm all about a parliament system anyway, where you, you know, where you would have the president in the middle of the Congress and you have random congressperson from Idaho saying something to the president. And the president stands up and says, well, whatever. I'd like to I see Michael that. Avenatti run for president because <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, that guy is like the only guy in America that can twerk Trump off, man. I mean. <laughs> like I, that guy and he knows his shit and he could talk and he is like direct in your face he's highly intelligent he's an amazing speaker that guy i'm telling you if he runs on the democratic side man look out look out look out because things are going to be off the rails like 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 this part of the podcast right now <laughs> this is off the rails yeah but, but um scott you know i i i appreciate um, your time and I appreciate the words and wisdom and very detailed and informed opinion that you have. Uh, I appreciate you being on the show. I, I thank you very much for for showing up. Can you tell our listeners how they can get in contact with you? Or um... well, I'm not interested in any of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, and I really don't. The only plug I would like to give out, if I could, would be vote, people. It's still time. You can still go down and cast your ballot. We have um, early voting that's going on right now in the state of Ohio. You can always fill out an absentee ballot if, you, if you'd like to. Um, you can always find that at your local county board of elections. What, what I know most of you have smartphones. Just look up whatever county you're in and then board of elections, and you should be able to find that information, however. But at the end of the day, the political process does work if you use it, and you have to vote in order to have your agenda pushed forward. It's just that simple. If you don't vote, you can't complain. And don't vote for third parties. It's wasting your vote. Thank you very much, Scott Howe.
Thank you for having me. No problem. My name is Michael Fries, and this is the Friends and Experts Podcast, Episode 1. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe. It's available on many networks and environments and whatnot, so please uh, feel free to share this with your friends. Thank you very much, and have a good day, everybody.